How did you know how to get here today? Because obviously you're here, so somehow you knew how to get here. So, uh, what was it? Google Maps. Google Maps, yeah. Sorry, I missed that. Yeah, the postcode, but where did you find the postcode? And the, you know, probably email, website, maybe social media, maybe talking to uh, a friend told you how to be here. I want you to imagine, if you lived in a restricted access country, a bit like Afghanistan that we've been talking about, where it's illegal to be a follower of Jesus, illegal to meet together as a church, there would be no advertising. There would be no email, no social media, no website, nothing at all. Someone would have told you, possibly just a very short text, this is the location. Or they may have said, you need to meet, there's a man under the third lamppost, meet him at this time, he won't be there for very long. And then he'll tell you, take your second left, third right, and it's the house uh, under whatever tree it is. And this is the, the code you need to be able to get in. So very different for people around the world. Because you would know that if you were caught, that it could mean being beaten up by the police, not by yobs, but by the police themselves. Uh, you might be held in prison without trial. You might lose your job. You might have your children taken away. You might just be killed. But that's the cost that many Christians have for following Jesus. So, Julian, if we could go onto the slide there. Last year, how many followers of Jesus, <coughs> next slide please, were killed for their faith? What do you think? How many? Roughly. Bullpark figure. Anybody? Sorry, 4,000? 12,000? 30,000? Yeah, so a variety of numbers there. The actual number was 5,898 according to Open Doors. So how many were persecuted for their faith worldwide? Any ideas there? 6,000? 6, Need to go a bit higher. 30,000? The answer is... 360 million. So that means that they were not allowed to get water from the village well, or they weren't allowed to have a job, or they were beaten up, or their house was burnt down, you know, those kinds of things. 360 million people worldwide. So if we could have the next slide, please. This, uh, again, I think was from Open Doors. This is the World Watch List. And this shows the countries where it is most dangerous to be a follower of Jesus. And you'll notice ours isn't one. You know, I don't know whether you ever feel intimidated about following Jesus. Things could be a lot worse, couldn't they? So the dark red ones are the most dangerous. And uh, each year they update the list. And if we go on to the next slide, you'll see the ones on the left, 1 to 11, are the most dangerous. But that's the top 50 uh, for this year. And you'll notice that the countries that we support in the Vineyard Persian Partnership are number one, 
number 9, and number 45. So that's why we need the Persian partnership, that's why we need to keep supporting the people that we're working with. When I looked at that list, it also struck me how many countries on that list are playing in the World Cup this year. Uh, you know, there's been a fuss made about the LGBTQ armbands. What about people who are being murdered because of their faith? You know, just a few there. Uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Qatar. That's all in the top 17. So the definition, uh, according to the Joshua group, of an unreached people group is uh, an ethnic group where no one has come to faith in Jesus or where so few have come to Jesus that the church is not sustainable without outside help. So let's go on to the next slide. How many people or how many unreached people groups do you think there are in Tajikistan? If you do the next thing, Julian. What, any guesses? Dozens, hundreds? maybe. The answer is actually 31. Afghanistan. Any guesses on that one? Slightly bigger country? Much 50? The answer is 68, which is 97.1% of the population. So there are a few people from a couple of the tribes, or there are many people from a few tribes who've come to faith in Jesus particularly the, the poorest, the most persecuted. Um, and then Iran. How many in Iran? How many unreached people groups? Don't know if Tanya knows this. <laughs> the answer is 84. So these are groups of people, ethnic groups, where nobody has come to faith or where so few have come to faith that the church is not sustainable as a unit on its own. Out of interest, how many do you think there are in the UK? Any ideas? The answer is actually 35 according to the same list. 30% of the population, either nobody has come to faith or so few have come to faith that there isn't a sustainable church in that group. And you probably saw the, uh, the recent census results uh, saying that in this country less than half people now call themselves Christians. We know that before lockdown in England about 6% of the population would go to church. Most churches in the vineyard and other churches that I've spoken to their attendance is about half what it was before. So, you know, there's enough to keep us busy, isn't there? For a little while, both home and abroad. And that's why Jesus said to us, and we've got this verse on the next slide, Matthew 28, verse 19, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God the Father, because of his great love, wants people to be saved. Saved from eternal death, which is being cut off from God for eternity, and saved for eternal life, which is being in relationship with God for eternity, 
and that starts now. And it talks here about all the nations. For those of you who like the Greek, that's pentata ethne, from which we get ethnic groups. So every ethnic group, every people group, every tribe, every language coming to know Jesus. And Jesus won't be satisfied until someone from every single one of those groups has had a chance to come to faith. And in fact, if my reading of the Bible is right, the second coming won't come until someone from every tribe has come to know Jesus. Now, I don't know how you react to verses like that, whether they fill you with fear or with joy, whether you have a quick guilt trip because you're not doing enough or how it strikes you. Perhaps we need to ask the Father, why are we reacting in the way that we are when we read those verses? When, as it says at the end here, he's promised to be with us always. And uh, so, we, you know, we're going to be okay, because God's with us. Uh, because what we have is good news. The Greek word that we get in the Bible that's translated evangelism uh, means good news. And uh, the word gospel doesn't actually appear in the Bible. It's uh, an Anglo-Saxon word that we use to translate another version of that, uh, that word, uh, good news. And so when we have the Bible, when you read your Bible and it translates it, preaching the good news, it literally means good newsing someone with good news. It's the same word repeated twice, just with a slightly different tense or whatever it is. I'm not a linguist, but... Uh, and that's what we have. It's good news. And when we share our faith, we are giving people good news. So I hope you get the point of this. This is good news that we have for the nations. And I think Tanya's prophecy reflected that as well, that this is a place of healing. It's a place where we can come and receive the healing love of the Father. And uh, it's not just about eternity, it's about receiving the life that God has for us today. And so because this is good news, it's not something that we should be embarrassed about. It's not something that we feel, should feel that we have to apologise for. But yes, it might get you into trouble. You know, you might get embarrassed in this country, um, or occasionally it's slightly stronger than that, but is it worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Is the good news worth it? But you may point out that a lot of people in this country don't realise it's good news. Even when you present them with the good news, they don't realise it's good news. And in fact, many people, as soon as they hear anything to do with church or Jesus or Bible, they automatically assume that it's, it's bad news because of the way church has presented itself over the years in many, many cases. So what do we do? Well, as we've said before, we need to become the good news as well as speaking the good news. In the course that we've run, The Habits of a Multiplying Disciple, we call that living out loud. As we live the good news and we speak the good news, uh, we start to recognise when people are spiritually open and then we know when to take the next step, when... Uh, the, the, following the strategy that Jesus has given us 
of inviting people into a conversation based around the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about God and about life. So look at that passage again. It's about making disciples. Um, great worship times are wonderful. Uh, great ministry times are wonderful. I am for those, absolutely. Church planting is a great thing to do, but it needs to start with making disciples. That's what we're called to do. And the way that we're doing that in this church is through the discovery groups, bringing people into discipleship so that they start following Jesus through obedience to the Bible, even before they come to relationship with him, even before they come to faith. And it's wonderful to, to hear what's, uh, what's happening there. Um, part of the good news that we have comes in the Christmas story, doesn't it? Just to get the time of year right. Uh, Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So right at the beginning of Jesus' life on earth, the message is God is with us. And right at the end, just before Jesus returned to heaven, the message is, God is with us. So I think, uh, I think he wants us to pay attention to that and to, to live as if that was really true, because it is. And uh, that's what Christmas is about, isn't it? It's easy to be distracted by the adverts on television, some of them are quite good, some of them not so fantastic. Um, it's so easy to be distracted by the, the trappings instead of celebrating the fact that God is with us and we have good news for a broken world. He is, God is here. Uh, God's love is here. He's for us. He's with us. And that's something wonderful that we can share with other people. So what I'd like to invite you to do, something slightly different. I hope you don't find this too scary. But gather round a table, uh, three or four or five people, something like that, and just have a little discussion about where do I personally feel challenged about bringing good news to the nations? Or how is God being with us good news? And be as practical as you can. Or is there something else that struck you as, we, as I was talking today? So... Just gather into groups and uh, you've got five minutes to just have a quick chat. You won't have to share anything afterwards. Okay, so I hope you found that helpful, just being able to bounce a few ideas off each other. Um, but what I'd like to do now, rather than going around the tables and having people share what, what you've said, is to, uh, to put some legs on this and in my notes it says in silence which you know that's maybe a bit hopeful but um, I'd like us just to take a moment or two before we finish uh, maybe you may find it helpful to close your eyes but um, to ask God to show you what you need to do one practical thing that you're going to take away to do as a result of what we've been talking about today um, and so it's a simple I will statement and it may be I, I will watch the habits of a multiplying disciple videos that are on the website or I will learn to live out loud more or 
I will find some people who don't know Jesus and spend some time with them deliberately to build relationship. I will invite Jesus into my workplace. Uh, I will pray for our family who are in from this church out in Central Asia. You know, whatever it is that you feel God has given you. But if we don't put this into practice, we hear God's word, we go away and nothing changes. And uh, we just become more religious if we do that. So uh, I'd like to give you the opportunity just to hear from God, something simple, especially for you. And uh, so just a minute or so to uh, be reasonably quiet before God. Okay, so, and then I'll pray for us. Father, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you are God with us, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't think we're seeing you at work. We we thank you for the way that creation itself declares how great you are. Thank you for your character displayed in other people that we see. Thank you for the blessing that you've poured out upon us. And we look to you for more. We look to you for more healing and more freedom. We look to you for boldness to be able to share our faith. We look to you for everything that we need, whether it's finances, relationships, work, just a closer walk with you, more of your peace. Holy Spirit, we ask that you come and that you do that for us. Thank you that you promised to be with us wherever we go and that as Jonah found, you can never get away from you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're for us. We receive your love. We receive your blessing. And we look forward to what you want to do this week in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.